This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, there's only, uh, well, actually, there is not a line open, so hang on just a minute before you dial. We're going to get one more question from Cindy, and then we're going to talk to Johnny and Marcy and Martha. So, hello again, Cindy. Hello, hello. My last question was back to your the, the grass conversation. I tried this year to put, uh, well, no, I was successful this year in getting some ryegrass to grow this winter. Right, uh-huh. I thought maybe that root grows and, and would loosen up the soil a little bit and and help. Um, it it does strictly from the physical, you know, side of it. You've got uh, roots are you know basically made of carbon. They're organic material that's going to slowly break down. As it does, it's going to form little. I guess would almost call them micropores because the roots are so fine. Those are going to allow oxygen down into the soil. So. Uh, they will soften it. You will help a great deal if you'll put on something to stimulate the bacteria, which are the ones that build the soil on a more permanent basis. And you can use things like Medina Plus, Medina Soil Activator, or any form of molasses will help um, to improve and loosen that soil. But there's there's no doubt that having the roots of ryegrass, uh, and of course you wouldn't want to do this in your yard, but in your vegetable garden, if you overseed with things like Austrian winter peas or things like that, it actually puts some nitrogen into the soil. Uh, your ryegrass doesn't do that, but it very definitely does... Uh, it it does a, a bit simply by having those little channels of roots that, which are going to slowly rot away. And just the fact that it allows more air into the soil is very important in softening the soil. So you're exactly right. Any chance I could get any kind of clover to grow out there? Um, not as well in the shade. Um, you could, but remember clover is more of a cool season. Grass, it's getting awful late to be planting clover. Uh, you might think about it next fall though, along with your ryegrass, uh, get one of the difference, probably one of the lower growing clovers. Talk to Douglas King Seed or somebody like that. You don't want some real tall like Cubam which can get uh, very tall. But, yeah, I'd, I'd think about mixing a little clover seed or vetch. Uh, vetch is another legume which is a uh, little more manageable than clover. And uh, I think, uh, it, it, again, is a cool season plant. But when I'm looking to try to build the soil, so long as I can keep the deer away from it. I mean, deer love both clover and vetch, but uh, it's probably not a problem for you. So, yeah, either vetch or clover seed along with your rye next next fall probably be a real good idea just throw something in okay i might try that next year i've sodded twice and it it just dies out and i I think the only uh the only grass that's left the saint augustine is what was there originally yep (laughs) coming back well, I, again, if you can do any thinning of the trees or anything to get more sunlight, that's what's going to help it more than anything else you do. All right.
right, Bob. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Cindy. Always good to talk to you. You have a good weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Johnny's up next. Good morning, Johnny. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Johnny, you, your centurion guy. Hey, you yes, sir. The, the, the greatest tool man around. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but anyway. <laughs> okay. The man with the greatest tool products around. There you go. There you go. There you go. Right. Appreciate that. Um, we have about five rose bushes in a row uh, staggered along the, our wall, and four of them are blooming, but one of them is not. So I don't know if, if it's taken a vacation this year or what the deal is. All the same variety? I don't think so. Okay. Well, and I don't know what. I don't know what the varieties are because they were here when we moved in two years ago. There, there are some roses, especially some of this uh, series been popular the past five years or so called knockouts that always get a head start on everything else. Now, most of the other roses, if they are indeed bush roses, should be putting on buds, should be starting to bloom. Um, uh, if they're getting adequate sunlight, are all five of these plants getting pretty much equal sunlight? Yes, uh huh. Yes. Okay. The other possibility, and did you prune them early in the spring? I did. Yes, uh huh. Okay. Um, the other possibility is could be that this fifth bush is actually a climbing rose rather than a bush rose, and mm-hmm. climbing roses. <clears throat> They make their buds, they get them started in the fall. And if we prune a climber in the spring, we don't have any flowers because we've cut off all the blooms. Uh, Bush roses, on the other hand, bloom on new growth that comes out in the spring. So we prune our bush roses sometimes pretty heavily, and they respond by putting on buds and flowers everywhere. If that fifth one happens to be a climbing variety, um, you don't prune your climbers until they've done their annual, you know, heavy spring blooming. There are a handful of climbers. Don Juan is one that comes to mind that blooms on both new and old growth. But my suspicion, if the plant looks good but has no buds, I'm afraid it may be a climber. And unfortunately, pruning was the wrong thing to do on that plant. Right. Okay. Well, this is only the second year in our house, so we'll remember that next year. Very good. Um, have you ever heard of a, an app called Plant Snap? I have. I have. It's yeah. yeah it's reliable. Um, up to a point, uh, it will tend to give you a general answer many times rather than a specific answer. Specific. You know, it may tell you it's a viburnum, but not tell you which viburnum. And right. it, it's it, the identification of plants. Plant taxonomy had to be the most boring course I ever took in college. <laughs> but plant plant uh, plant uh, nomenclature, the names of plants, are based not on the structure of leaves, but on the structure of flowers. And uh, so it's wishful thinking to think that there's really anything out there that's going to give you a super 
a super reliable right. answer on on the basis yeah. of foliage. It'll get you in the ballpark, but right. um, um, with that, it's just <laughs> believe me. Don't don't make me think about uh, plant plant taxonomy. <laughs> but uh, uh, it'll it it will help you with general families. But you know what a lot of folks do with us, and which you're always welcome to do. Uh, but they will take a piece of poster board when they move into a new house or something, and they'll just take a little six-inch cutting off of every plant, tape it to that poster board, bring it over, and one of us will just go through and write the name of each plant as we go oh. through because uh, we yeah, – if common landscape plants you know it's not like uh there there's a, a group of flowers called composites which includes all the daisies and things and uh just plant taxonomists have various terms such as dyc which stands for damn yellow composite because there's so many of them it's just almost impossible to key them out but uh common yeah. landscape plants yeah it's a good start but don't ever hesitate to uh gather your cuttings and <laughs> don't leave them in the car for a week before you drop by no, no. but uh and and it really helps you know like i say just just tape them down to uh to a piece of poster yeah. board or something and take just literally a couple of minutes for one of us to go through and write the proper name of each one underneath it for you oh, that'd be great i'll do that next time and then one other quick question i came in on the tail end of the gentleman that was asking about the loquats we have a loquat uh-huh. tree and uh we have a it's it's really uh, bearing a lot of fruit, but right now it's some a lot of it's still uh, green. It's not yellow. Right. So yeah, uh, I, and you said something about if you have cold springtime, is that it or cold fall? It, I guess it'll just no. It, it's freezing weather in the winter. This plant blooms and sets fruit in the fall, and then if it freezes, you lose all that fruit. A hard freeze, but uh, a a cool spring will slow down the maturity of it. But uh, And the other thing, uh, loquats are thirsty. Uh, you need to water them a little more heavily than you do most of the other plants in the landscape. Lack of moisture will slow down the uh, development of the fruit as well. Um, so I would worry years, years. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the problem with this year has been we've had a lot of light rain that it's wet. It's been great for the grasses, but it hadn't really gotten right. a lot of very deeply into the soil. So, right. Yeah, give, give it a good, thorough, deep root soaking, and um, your your fruit will come along for you. Yeah, no, like I said, it's it's it, there's a lot of uh, buds on it and a lot of fruit on it. So it's just uh-huh. a matter of it uh, loosening up or green, you know, ripening up. So, but I think probably in the next two weeks we'll probably see, have a good. Well, in the next six weeks, you'll have a good crop. <laughs> it just depends on how warm it gets. and uh, But do give it a good thorough soaking. That'll give you better spring growth and better fruit development as well. All righty. Well, Bob, thanks so much. You'd have a wonderful weekend, and we'll hope to see you soon. Take care. Look forward to it, Johnny. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks, Ah, bye. All right, uh, Chris, let's go ahead and talk to Marcy. She's been waiting a while, and uh, good morning, Marcy. Good morning. I'm so glad I got up early today because last weekend I tried to call and I, could, I called 35 <laughs> times. My phone said 35 times. So I thought I got to get up 
early this morning. Well, that's the Um, smartest thing to do. Here's the other little hint toward getting in. We run on about an eight-second time delay uh, mandated by the FCC. And so when you hear me finish a call, in reality, that happened eight seconds before you heard it happen. And by that time, somebody's already gotten through. So when you're, when you, don't get up early, you lucky person. Uh, you know, try to anticipate by about eight seconds when I'm going to finish a call of that. That'll give you a better chance of getting through. But I'm glad you got me today. How can I help? Okay. Um, so the main, I had a couple, but the main thing I wanted to ask you is, so I've been trying to be really good about fertilizing this year because I have 12 tomato plants, all different kinds, and I just really want to get tomatoes this year. Excellent. So I've, yeah, I've been using um, three of the has to grow, so the, the fish emulsion, the um, Garrett juice, and the regular. Should I be alternating each one each time, or should I be using the has to grow and then maybe spraying Garrett juice on the leaves, or what do you suggest? You know, I'll tell you what I do, and that is I just kind of blend them all up together. Uh, oh, because okay. my my feeble brain, uh, when two weeks have gone by, I'm thinking, uh, what was it I used two weeks ago? Because I'm not always good about writing things down as I should be. I think, gish, did I use the uh, fish or did I use the has to grow plant or whatever? I, I don't recommend the has to grow lawn as highly. And of course, Garrett juice, while it's a great tonic so to speak it is really mm-hmm. isn't doesn't have a lot of nutritive quality so you know i've just okay. and and i i tend to use a little siphon mixer that mixes uh, things together as you go through the hose but even if i'm using a watering mm-hmm. can or a bucket i'm just going to put a little splash of all three of them together and it's sort of like uh rather than eating prime rib today and broccoli tomorrow and cheesecake the next day you're getting a little bit of each uh, every time you eat and so i think your plants probably okay. feel the same way they'd love to have that blend okay um let's see this one's just a observation question kind of um so i have one of those cardoon artichoke that yep. i guess they're ornamental and oh my gosh it just got huge uh-huh so i really cut back severely i really cut almost all the lower leaves off and and because i knew it would grow back but uh-huh. all of a sudden a couple of weeks later those stalks started appearing uh-huh. and i was just so excited about it is that because it's just that time of year or is it it's just that time of year it's just that time of year you know mine are loaded up and and they 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 certainly those little chokes are edible as well my big problem is in the uh uh, my plants are you know almost shoulder high and the foliage the leaves Uh are bigger than i have ever seen i planted them in a Uh new area so very freshly prepared and mine are the most beautiful they've ever been but they kind of blew over so now i've got artichoke plants with uh, with stems twice as thick as my thumbs and um, wow. <laughs> and lots of chokes on top, but they're all pretty much uh, at a 45 degree angle instead of standing straight up. But so far, um, the artichokes, uh, the portion we eat, which is actually a giant flower bud, are continuing to grow and develop. So uh, I okay. think it had to do with timing rather than pruning shears as okay. far as their production. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I leave them on there because I've seen the bloom, and it's 
amazing. Oh, it's and they you can they dry. They make a good dry flower. Now, let me tell you one thing, and this is based on several years' experience growing artichokes. After they finish producing, a lot of times mm-hmm. they just appear to die. They'll just turn brown. They die all the way back to the ground. And you say, well, too bad. And you pull them up, throw them on the compost <laughs> pile. Don't do that. Cut them back because okay. first thing you know, they'll be coming back twice as thick from the base. But they will just look like you know somebody sprayed the worst weed killer in the world on them but that's just part of their normal life cycle okay yeah they're amazing i had one at my old house and (laughs) when i moved here i planted one and it was so you know so small and my husband said are you sure you want to put it right there remember how big Uh it got last time and i said well i'm just yeah i want it here because i'm trying to hide all my neighbors so (laughs) yeah started getting too much shade you know underneath the other plants underneath so anyways that's right. why i trimmed it but um well thanks i i appreciate you taking my call and answering well, the questions it's always a pleasure and i tell you what you get some get a little good mayonnaise add some cayenne pepper add some garlic salt and uh steam one of those artichokes and you'll find out that there there's uh, other very good qualities besides being a beautiful flower okay, <laughs> okay i'll do that all right all thanks. right good to talk to you marcy okay. thank you Goodbye. All right, back to gardening. We are going to talk to Martha and Robert and Gilbert and Charlene. Martha's up next. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. Good morning. I hope hope mesquite leaves make a good fertilized because they all blew off the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they'll make a good mulch whether they make a good fertilizer or not. I have a mildew problem, and I've forgotten what you use. And is this on squash or beans? What's your mildew on? Uh, um, well, a number of things, but a lot of it's stress. But uh, my peas, my okay. uh, sweet peas. Yeah, and part of that is caused just by the hot days we've had. Now, you walk out there this morning, you're going to be grabbing a jacket, but you know, it's just a few days ago, it was 91 degrees. So a little mildew is almost to be expected. You can slow it down. You will never stop it, but you can slow it down. A liquid garlic, in fact, liquid garlic is a real good preventer. So it's uh, it's both curative and preventive to carry you through the next few weeks. The other thing to do is to soak some of that whole ground cornmeal in water and let it soak for, you know, 12 to 24 hours and then use Mm -hmm. that water to spray on. That is going to be curative, but not necessarily preventive of additional problems. So, um, and everybody, guys, sweet peas are just so fragrant and so beautiful when they bloom. I don't know about yours, but uh, I know my business partner grows and loves them, and hers have been very slow to bloom this year. But uh, uh, I would probably spray with both. I'd maybe spray with either, it doesn't matter which one's first, but spray with uh, mm-hmm. the liquid garlic, and then a few days later spray with your corn water tea. And between those two, you'll be doing the very best you can do um, to, and to at least slow the mildew down. Now, while it's chilly today, I think it's supposed to be 88 in San Antonio tomorrow. So, uh, again, realize that the sweet peas are moving into a season they really don't like. So a few of these problems are just normal stress-related problems, but uh, the garlic corn water tea will keep them going as long as possible. Great. Uh, you know, we're talking about using hydrogen peroxide. As yes, a- uh-huh. 
a cleaner and antiviral? Yes. What's the proportions? <laughs> you know, if you're most of the peroxide that you buy at a grocery store is going to be 3%, mm-hmm. normally right. about two parts water to one part peroxide, you're basically uh, diluting it down to 1%. Occasionally, in some of these places that masquerade as discount houses, they just dilute the stuff down and then probably charge you more for it. But if you get 1% peroxide and practically use it out of the bottle, I would not dilute it any more than one-to-one. But if you get 3% peroxide, which is more common, um, dilute about two parts water to one part peroxide. Okay. Well, thank you ever so much, and have a great day and a lovely week next week. You do the same, Martha. (laughs) You know, we just dress in layers when we live in Texas. That's true. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Martha. Good to hear from you. Let's Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk. Let's say good morning to Robert, man with a good name out there. Hello, Robert. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Uh, I'm doing well, sir. Okay, good. I'm I'm here in the kind of a Timberwood Park, so I'm having a little challenge trying to get get my garden growing. Okay, with the deer around. Okay, I called you uh, about a couple of weeks ago, but I'm just about finalizing everything, and I want to do it right. And be on the preparation, um, I need to. Well, here, let me give you the, an idea of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do a raised bed. Okay, I'm putting Very a cinder block. Okay, three three cinder blocks wide, and probably 15 to 16 feet wide. I mean long. Okay, and okay. then I want to make three of those. Three of those in my backyard. Okay, uh-huh. and then I, I am getting that um, cattle panels at, at this one place, you know, at the, that you told me, and uh, for the fence. But they have another type of fencing that's got smaller holes. What do you think about that one? Well, it, you know, I like the cattle panels because of the rigidity. Uh, you can get cattle panels with smaller openings. I usually use the 4x4, four four, but they make uh-huh. one with just 2x4 openings. But uh, if you're using that heavy-duty product, it gets heavy and it gets expensive. The more metal they have to put in it, the more they have to charge for it. Okay. Now, there okay. are other fences which, you know, have a more narrow opening. Um, if I, around my big garden, uh, I use, uh, they call it no climb. It's actually a horse fencing and the, the holes are closer together on the bottom and further apart on the top. But, uh, if, in, in regular cattle panels, uh, I mean, the smallest openings you can afford are gonna be, are gonna be best. But let me tell you, the weight does change and the price does change as you go smaller and smaller. Um, the four by four will keep out most critters it will keep out your bigger possums your raccoons although they will try to climb over it uh but any size is going to stop the deer so if it's more of the budget to go with the six by six openings on the cattle panel you know you go with you go with what fits your budget robert because if the deer are the principal issue um you know the the wider openings are going to be just just as effective in stopping the deer Okay. Do you recommend uh, what what type of poles? I got some metal poles, but they're not very tall. They're by, probably about five foot, six foot tall. You know those metal ones that stakes. Right. You know. Uh, I, which one do you recommend? 
A, well, you keep in mind that I live on several hundred acres of cedar. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, let's just say it's been a long time since I bought any, any fence post of any sort, because I right. use the cedar and then I use the uh, staples right, to right. put it on. But if you're using, and I mean, you can, you can build an excellent fence using, uh, metal stakes, but, um and and if you happen to be a good welder i mean that's that's the best way just to tack the cattle panels on but it uh-huh. can't be these thin cheapo things they sell at home depot that you know yeah. wind practically will blow those things over and i'll tell you right. one more thing if you really want to make this permanent and my old buddy alton Grimm that yes. i worked with yes. uh for years alton taught me that because uh, i built several we built several big shade structures with a uh, two-inch pipe and you can get use pipe really cheap at some of the pipe yards uh-huh. around but um, yeah but uh, fill it with concrete make a real soupy concrete mix and uh-huh. you know that you can just literally pour into it because even if you put a cap on it there's going to be condensation inside that pipe and it's gradually going to rust from the inside out and uh, mm-hmm. I do this uh, you know when I'm putting corner stakes in when I'm building fence which is certainly not my favorite occupation but uh, right. fill that fill that pipe just with a soupy concrete and it'll uh-huh. last you four times as long which is going to be more than a lifetime okay real good uh, that's a good idea my 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 brother-in-law, I'm going to have to get him out of retirement. He's a welder, so uh, ah. I'll help him out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to have a large family with multiple talents. Yeah, yeah. I want, my wife's only got 10 in the family, so that's not too bad. <laughs> my <laughs> grandfather had 10. The hardest point or part of his family, as I understood it, was there were nine boys and one girl, and I always yeah. felt sorry for that girl. But uh, yeah. anyway... Well, listen, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Robert. Anything else I can help with today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a couple more things. I want to ask okay. you this real quick. I noticed that the people I've been watching on, on YouTube, they, they put a weed block underneath those cinder blocks. I mean, you know, where you're going to put the soil, you know? And no, no. Big mistake. Big, big, big mistake. If you want to put it right underneath the cinder blocks, fine. But it uh, you want is because are you just going one cinder block high around the edge? Well, yeah, that, that's see, that, that was another thing that I was going to ask you. You know, my wife said, well, that's too low. We got, you know, we're getting up in age and all this stuff. But uh, <laughs> most, of the stuff, most of the stuff grows kind of high, you know, and that's what I was sure. thinking, you know. Well, you you want your plants to see six inches of soil is not nearly enough soil for a plant to grow a decent root system. So you want it, even though you're sitting on a lot of rock and not so good soil, you want those plants to be able to go down into the soil underneath your garden beds. And um, weed block just just destroys the soil underneath it. And uh, just like it doesn't let weeds grow up through it, it doesn't let roots go down through it. So forget the weed block. If you feel like you have some weeds you need to suppress put a couple uh-huh. of layers of cardboard down put your soil on top of it that cardboard will rot away as it mm-hmm. smothers the weeds but weed block bad product only time i use it is if i want to kill everything underneath it i'll put it down for a year and then pull it up and then i have to really work to get that soil back in good shape so i'm right. never going to use it where i'm planting things Okay, and then now, this is what I, I live pretty close to garden, well, that's soil and garden, whatever, over here on 281. Yeah, stone is, yeah, stone is soil. Mm-hmm, stone is soil. Yeah, um, do you recommend uh, uh, maybe garden soil mixed up with compost manure to, to start off the garden? 
that would be the best thing you could do. They have what they call a garden mix, but if you yeah. then you will fortify it. And uh, they always they they use the good non biosolid materials. So yeah, I would take their garden soil. I'd add about thirty percent compost. Uh, uh-huh. Good deal of good Medina fertilizer or Nature's Creation fertilizer, and uh, you should grow as long as you got good sunlight. Even in Timberwood Park, you're going to have a beautiful garden, Robert. Right. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a quick question there. Uh, right now, what what what's in season right now? I was going to get that uh, that little shark that you used to have at, at your sure. place, but I oh, haven't yeah. had a chance to go down there. But I'm I'm thinking about putting tomatoes, squash, cucumbers. Peppers, serrano peppers, or chili piquin, and bell peppers, and maybe p- throw in one of those Meyer, Meyer lemon trees in there. You know. Well, Terrence, Meyer lemon's not gonna. It's gonna be a problem with you to try to keep it from, protected from freezing. But uh, your okay. list is good. I would add bush beans to that if you like beans, okay. green beans. Uh-huh. I would I add like uh, egg, egg, yeah, eggplant. Uh, there's a long, thin air, eggplant called Ichiban that is never mm-hmm. bitter. And uh, if you get your wife, uh, you know, uh, to get some good recipes, I never knew what delicious things you could make with eggplant because I'm not that good a cook, but I'm a pretty good gardener. And but I have uh, I have friends that cook. But uh, no cucumber squash. Now here's the thing on tomatoes: you're getting late on big tomatoes because your large slicing type tomatoes they stop producing when the weather gets hot. So planting this late, focus on cherry tomatoes. Then in the fall, you can plant some more. Yeah. But you can plant more big tomatoes in the fall, but yeah, squash, cucumber, beans, and it's it's about two weeks away. But about two weeks from now, when that soil is really warm, if you like okra, grow some okra because okay. it sure is good for a lot of different things. Okay, real good. That, that's a good list. Let me ask you just one more quick question. Now, you know, I called you up about my 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 neighbor don't doesn't get up early, so she can't call in. Uh, she has a, <laughs> she has an aerobic system. Yeah. And one one side where it springs up, you know how it releases all the water that's in there. Uh, right. it, it it it's real green. The other one just died completely. And, and both both areas have full sun. Is yeah. there any any anything that you can substitute for Clorox on that system? Um, not legally. Um, not legally. Uh, yeah, it uh, you have to use chlorine to meet the state standards. Uh, so there's nothing legally. Uh, hydrogen, strong hydrogen peroxide would probably mm-hmm. be as good, but uh, legally you got to put the chlorine in there. That's the problem with those aerobic systems, and that chlorine can be very damaging to some types of plants. Right, right. And what type of grass do you think she should throw? I mean, she wants to buy some, you know, those 13 inches or whatever. Uh, those, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's it, it's out in the sun, I presume. So her toughest grass is going to be Bermuda, Bermuda. Uh, Saint August. Yeah, Saint Augustine's a pretty grass, but if she's looking for the toughest, hardiest, most sun tolerant grass in the world, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. she plant common Bermuda, or she could plant Tiff Bermuda. If she wants, if she wants to go to the trouble and expense of buying the squares of grass, I probably would plant Tiff T I F F. Um, if she wants to plant, yeah, you know, common is a lot cheaper. She could plant that from seed after it gets mm-hmm. a little bit hotter. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Real good. Thank you very much, Bob. You helped me out quite a bit. All right. Well, Chris tells me Charlene was actually first to call in, and her phone keeps dropping out on her. So I'm going to make her first. Then it'll be uh, Gilbert and Mac and Mark. Uh, so good morning, Charlene. Good morning, Bob. 
Good morning. Uh, I have two questions. Okay. Uh, I have a about a three-year-old asparagus in a pot, and I don't know when and how to harvest. Okay. Um, well, the part that you eat on asparagus is the same thing that comes up and makes the feathery foliage. So you just start harvesting, uh, and usually this starts in January or February. You're awfully late. Has it already come up and made some nice big tall foliage? Oh, yes. I, I'm, I'm not going to try this year. I just, okay. Uh, well, here, here's the thing. Uh, your plant is well established now, so you can harvest for about probably six weeks, maybe even eight weeks next spring, but you, uh, and, and asparagus grows so quickly, that little spear will come up, it'll grow a foot in a day's time. So you harvest from that. You break off the new growth as it comes up. Uh, the temptation is always to say, well, I'll let a few of them make foliage and I'll harvest the others. No, you harvest every single sprout that comes up if you go out of town for the weekend and you come back and one of them's got too big to eat go ahead and break it off anyway because that's what keeps more and more spears coming up for you to harvest and enjoy and then you know your plant's nice and strong now so you can take off every new that sprout that comes up for six or eight weeks and so early on you harvest everything and then when you decide to let it go ahead and put on its foliage and rebuild itself then you don't harvest any more so yeah it's uh you, if you have a very many people around that like asparagus you certainly don't tell them what you're harvesting because you're probably not going to get more than enough for about one person in a pot so maybe <laughs> next year have several pots ready but my my employees must think i'm a terrible asparagus grower asparagus grower because i virtually never bring any to share because in all honesty i lots of times it doesn't even make it to the kitchen i just snap it off and it's so tasty and good so uh so if it hasn't frozen back by the first of january Cut all the old foliage off and then harvest and eat everything that comes out for the next six to eight weeks. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, the next question is ginger and turmeric. Um, do you harvest that every year? or? Well, the now I've, I've not grown the turmeric, but the ginger, um, the ginger is not going to be cold hardy. So basically, you're going to plant that rhizome, that root, so to speak, um, in the spring. You're going to let it come up and make foliage and grow. If you want to, every now and then, dig up and break off a little portion of the rhizome, which is you know what we eat for ginger, you can do that. But when fall comes around, you're either going to have to bring that plant inside for the winter, or you're going to have to dig it up and store it dry and replant it next spring, because left outside, it's probably going to freeze and die. Uh, turmeric, I've not grown so i suspect it's about the same but i i I just don't know for sure the answer on that one all right thank you so much bob have a great day you do the same charlene thank you and goodbye all right let's get gilbert in here good morning gilbert good morning bob morning sir i just got a question on trimming i have uh about 10 texas Stage uh, shrubs. They're about uh, five foot tall. Okay. And I want to cut. I want to cut them down to about three foot. Is it time to do it? Uh, and what, do you, what can you tell me about it? 
Well, would have been do it better to do it back in February, but you can do it now. But here's the thing. You can't take all the foliage off. If you would just have, you know, bare stems down below, uh, you could end up killing them by pruning them that heavily. What you're going to have to do is go through and sort of prune selectively. Uh, let's look at one Texas sage bush and let's say it's got six limbs coming up to make the top of the plant. Um, and what you want to do is take three of those, take about half of them, and cut them down to three feet, but wait until they start putting a little more foliage on, and then you can go back and cut down the other three. But if they're like most Texas sage, to prune them back that drastically, you'd end up taking most all the foliage off, and that is very, very bad for many plants, and it's quite often fatal for Texas sage. So uh, in the future, we need to prune them a little bit every year to ever keep from having to make that one big, big cut back. Right now, you can go through and cut about half the limbs coming up down to about three feet, and when those that you have cut back start making some new leaves coming out, then you can cut the other half of the stems back and you'll have it down to three feet but it's so to speak it's a two-step process okay all right thank you bob oh you're sure welcome i appreciate the call thank you sir south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right it's gonna be mac and mark and raul and mac is up first good morning mac good morning bob how are you I uh, just off to another beautiful, cool Saturday morning. I know lots of times this time of year we're we're sweating, but today's going to be a pretty good day to get some work done. I'll take this in April. Hey, you and me both. <laughs> What's going uh, on today, Bob? I want to say real quick, uh, you and your your team at the nursery. It, it's been really nice. I've probably visited a few more times than than normal in the last thirty days, and it, it's felt. You know, it's it's like a little sanctuary over there, and, and it felt still very, uh, fairly, fairly normal, and it's well, been uh, it, it, it it's been nice. It's other than needing to do the social distancing, it is as normal as it gets. Our suppliers are giving us top quality stuff, and it just it flatters us so much. We have lots of folks come in and say, "I come in to feel good. It is my it is my little sanctuary to get away to, and nobody ever has to buy anything to be welcome." So thanks for noticing, Mac. We're we're working hard at it, and we sure appreciate everybody coming to see us. But it's uh, it's about as close to normal as we can get. As you know, we're not letting people to the inside cash registers because we want everybody to stay healthy but uh um, other than getting the line every now and then we're, we're we're doing our best to serve you so how can i help you today uh a couple quick questions bob um i put in uh a couple patios probably about 20 days ago and then uh maybe about 10 days ago some black cherries and i failed to include uh epsom salt yeah how big of a setback is this well, it's not, never too late to apply Epsom salts. Um, if it gets to the point that your plants are producing and you're concerned, the only change you make is instead of sprinkling the Epsom salts around, um, you just you dissolve them in water, two tablespoons per gallon of water. But it's not something that the plant is taking up. 
Uh, it is something that is rebalancing the calcium uh, levels in the soil. So it's never too late to apply your uh, your Epsom salts. And again, you're not putting it in the hole. You're sprinkling it on the ground. So you're you're balancing, rebalancing your calcium and magnesium levels. So you haven't lost anything at all. You do it today, and uh, you should not have a problem problem with blossom end rot. Okay, copy that. And then real quick, Bob, um, the name of the wood that we talked about before, and you used on some decking there. And yeah, it is called Eco, E-C-O, Eco Vantage, V-A-N-T-A-G-E. Um, right. okay. It's outstanding wood, I just tell you. I, it's the best wood I have ever worked with. Uh, it's like I say, they've had it in ground contact for 30 years, have used it in standing water, and it what it is, it, it, it's a process that can be applied to most any type of wood. I happen to like pine, but it's just super kill-dried, so uh, it's baked the carbohydrates out on it, termites aren't interested in it, it seals the wood structure. Uh, my greenhouse I built at home over the last year, I, I use more screws than nails. I probably use three, 4,000 screws. I think I split one board, and I didn't pre-drill any of it. So, yeah, it's just the, the bad thing is it's not widely available, and it's not available where you just go in and buy a board or two. Uh, but there is a distributor in any job or anybody buying a quantity of wood. Uh, call me here at the nursery at a different time, and I'll give you all the info. I'll reach out to you soon, Bob. All right. Back to gardening and, uh, you know, hearing the national story about the food bank here in San Antonio reminds me that I really do need to tell you and remind you about Trey Ware's drive-in hunger here in San Antonio. Uh, doing everything we can to help out the food bank, mainly with cash donations now so they can go out and buy what they need. But I hope you go to KTSA.com and get the full details on, on Trey's uh, drive to end hunger. I mean, we're all trying to do the best we can to help out everybody who's not so fortunate. Uh, and also, we're looking for those everyday heroes uh, through all this crisis. You'll find all that information at KTSA.com. All right, we're going to talk to, uh, let's see, here it's going to be to uh, Mark and then to Raul and then to Robert and then to Tom. Mark's up first. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning, Bob. Morning. I had, uh, one question here on the. Uh, I have a Myers lemon. Yes, sir. It's on my my deck, and uh, last year it had loads of big, fat, nice lemons. I had to thin it about two thirds of them. I threw away and thinned <laughs> it out. It was really yeah. nice. And then about three months ago, it started looking real raunchy. It got kind of brown spots on the leaves and spotted, and a lot of them were yellow. Now, I use uh, what's that stuff that uh, I can't think of the name of it now. Stuff is fertilizer you put on there. The Hestergrow liquid? Yeah, yeah Hestergrow yeah, plant. Uh huh. Yeah, I use that fairly regularly, and it got really bad. And then <clears throat> about oh, about oh, two three months ago, it's, I was ready to throw it away. But then it started coming out, and now all the leaves were turned green again, and it looked looked really nice, and it started blooming. But it, just, it didn't have very many blooms. It had, a, you know, a few blooms, and they they all fell off, and now there's no lemons on it. Okay, it and is the, the leaves it, are all green and nice looking? Is this in a pot rather than in the ground? Yes, sir. Okay, and did you protect it? Have you covered it all this winter? No. No, it, okay. It, 
Yeah, we, we've had enough cold weather, even though it was brief. Uh, unfortunately, some of the cold that has come this year, Mark, has followed some warm weather, and it's a whole lot harder on a plant if it's real warm and then it suddenly gets cold and if it cools down gradually. And I suspect it got a little nip. Sometimes it takes a little time for it to show up. Wasn't cold enough to kill the stems or really hurt the plants. But we had enough cold weather that it exposed Myers lemons. Most some of the leaves froze off on them uh, this winter, and the fact that you've got new growth coming out now, the fact that everything looks good, means that it is on the road to recovery, but you simply saw a lot of the leaves freeze, and a lot of the developing flower buds froze as well, and that plant may take a may take a year off from producing. A lot of times, uh, Myers lemons do that. They'll give you a super heavy crop one year, then a lighter crop the next year, but it doesn't sound like disease or insect to me and as long as that pot is draining well i think you just uh i think you just missed a night when it really would have wanted a little bit of cold protection but that's behind us now if it's coming out with good new growth you keep up your watering your fertilizing and should put on lots of growth and hopefully at least a few lemons for you it's looking good on the growth part i don't i don't know yeah. if there'll be any lemons there's no more blooms but anyway well thank you for what you say? I tell you, it's it's handy having a guy like you around that, that knows everything like that. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, you I, I've I've made every mistake you can make in the gardening world, and uh, I started this in the uh, when I was five years old in my grandfather's greenhouse. So uh, I've I've had time to make a lot of mistakes. So I just hope you'll benefit from what I've done wrong. And believe me, I failed to cover things more than once and paid the price. But uh, the good news is yours is coming back out. You keep up the fertilizing and everything. I hope it surprises you with a few lemons, but even if it doesn't, it'll be a much bigger, much stronger tree next time around, Mark. So glad to be here for you. You call me anytime I can help. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's head up north uh, Plano area. Good morning, Raul. Hey, good morning, Bob. Another good morning, uh, sir. degree morning here. <laughs> <laughs> It's been it's been a a really a roller coaster spring down here. I guess you guys have had about the same up there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nice though. I like the nice crisp air at you know noon. <laughs> well, people people like us that get outside and do some physical work. Uh, uh, it it sure is better than just being drenched in sweat. You know, five minutes after you go outside. So I'm with you. We'll enjoy the cool mornings and the nice afternoons. That's right. Hey, uh, before I ask my question, uh, I just wanted to uh, thank you for that uh, PSA on the food bank. That's great. Yes, sir. Um, I, uh, our church helps out with the food bank here locally, and, you know, we, they've shown us studies where when there's financial, um, you know, issues in the home, and that includes, you know, uh, you know, not having food, there's, you know, domestic violence goes up, and so... You know, we can't help with providing jobs, but we can help with providing food. You know? Well, it's true. And I, I read a really a pretty frightening article. It came out of a university in England that a friend sent. And this was done over a lot of years and uh, with a lot of, of studying a lot of people. And not only is that an issue, but they they looked and they found that for every increase of unemployment by 1%, 
there were correspondingly thirty to 50,000 what they called deaths of despair, everything from suicide to related issues to health-related issues. So you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's important that we feel people's bodies, but we've also got to feed their minds and souls and keep an optimistic outlook, and that's easier for some people to do than others. So I'm glad your church is helping out, and uh, uh, even though we, you know, our churches can't do their usual job because we can't congregate in the way that we're used to, but just in the way you live your life every day and, and what you do for folks around you is a very good reflection on what you're doing, and it's a big help to them whether they whether they fully show their appreciation or not. You got to know you're helping them out, and I'm I'm so glad you brought that up, Rule. It's so true. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so um, my question is um, for today. I I, um, I called last week with the, what I call Lawn 101 questions. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, we talked about, a little bit about the clover that was all over the mm-hmm. lawn, and um, you know I was I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, once all that clover and you know the weeds from the winter you know die out. It, I'm going to get these, uh, I have common Bermuda, but it's thin, so it's going to look yeah. thin again. And so I was thinking, you know, what would be a good two-year plan to kind of, you know, and if two years is too short, <laughs> let me know. But, you know. <laughs> well, no, it. Uh, you know, actually the way Bermuda grows, it should be a six-month plan, but your, your yard is good and sunny, is that correct? Uh, for the most part, yeah, I would say about okay. 3,000 of the, of the 4,000 feet of sunny. Okay, because that's where your Bermuda is going to be happiest. Bermuda is always going to be a little thin in the shadier areas, but um, it's called fertilizer, fertilizer, a little bit more fertilizer, then you water, and then you add a little bit more fertilizer. Bermuda is one of the fastest-growing strongest, toughest grasses. If you ever try to get rid of it, you'll totally understand what I'm talking about. But your program needs to be needs to be fertilizer and water. And years when it has been stressed, it always looks bad because Bermuda does not start to grow until the weather gets hot. I mean, Bermuda would much rather have it 90 degrees than to have it 40 degrees. So the weeds get a head start, and your yard looks terrible because you've got the dandelions, you've got the winter grass, you've got the hen bits, you've got the clover, and then all of a sudden your Bermuda starts to grow. If you will fertilize every couple of months, good organic fertilizer, if you'll be sure that Bermuda gets a good thorough soaking about once a week, you're going to be amazed by the end of the summer. You're going to have the prettiest lawn in the neighborhood, and uh, we don't need two years to make your yard better. We need we need about six months of uh pretty good fertilizing pretty good watering once your yard is really up to your standards if you want to you can cut back to feeding once or twice a year but right now while you've got that relatively new home or new home to you um, just every time you turn around fertilize it again organic fertilizer you're never going to overdo it and that's all you need that and your lawnmower you're going to be amazed how well your uh, how well your bermuda grass is going to do okay and last uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the granular was better than the liquid fertilizer. Well, it's longer lasting. I won't say it's better, but it's definitely longer lasting. Okay. And is that what we're talking about for every two yes, months? Yes, sir. The granular? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Because I know, you know, you sound like a busy, hardworking man. If you're going to use liquid, you've got to be doing it at least once a month. And I don't have time to get out and, you know, spray 
uh, my total yard every once a month. But I can get out every three months and spend 10 minutes with the fertilizer spreader and uh, get that granular out. So, no, granular's not better, but for a person who leads a busy life, and most gardeners do, the granule's just a whole lot easier because you don't have to do it as often. It doesn't give you the overnight effect that your liquid does, but uh, uh, it, it works pretty darn quickly. Okay, and uh, we also talked about how the soil may be compact. Um, mm-hmm. I was reading also that, you know, well, I don't know what the previous owner did, you know, when yeah. I, you know yeah. four years ago. So um, would I think we talked about something called uh, Humate. Yeah. Um, I, Medina sells that product. Would that kind of help me with both cases, with kind of getting it a little loosened up and lock in the whatever chemicals may have been there in the past? Well, there's a lot of humate already in that good Medina Growing Green Fertilizer. If you want to bump it up with a little more dry humate, you certainly can. If I were going to add a supplement to it, though, I'd probably go with dry molasses. Uh, humate, okay. again, Stuart understands humate probably better than any other fertilizer maker I know, and he's already put a lot of it in the Growing Green. So uh, I, if I were going to supplement it, I'd use dry molasses would be my next additional thing. Okay. Sounds great. Uh, I know a couple of years ago I jumped with the water, so I feel pretty good about that. So I'll I'll, I'll attack it with the fertilizer. Yeah, stuff. yeah. And if you want to if you want to spray one thing out that's going to really benefit, uh, get some Garrett juice. You know, oh, <laughs> Howard's right around the corner from you up there. But uh, any of the Garrett Juice formulations, uh, there's Garrett Juice, Garrett Juice Plus, Garrett Juice Pro, uh, all of those things. Uh, get in the habit of doing that every two, three months, and that's going to work in tandem with your fertilizer. And uh, I, I truly think by the end of the summer, you're going to have yard of the month quality out there, at least in the sunny areas. <laughs> Well, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, you let me know. I'm counting on hearing back from you. You do what I tell you to do, and I, I can tell you you're pretty much going to be guaranteed pretty good results. So I'll, I'll sure look forward to hearing about it, Ro. Well, great. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. You do the same. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Robert and Tom and James and Mary, and Robert is up first. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I hope this call finds you in the wolf as well. <laughs> it, it finds me looking out the window at Shades of Green at a beautiful garden out behind me and, uh, you know, just a nice way to start the day. I, I, I miss being back the camaraderie of some of the guys back at the station, but I have to say that my, my Shades of Green broadcast studio, which uh, uh, is two pieces of equipment sitting on a desk in front of a big window, is a pretty nice way to start out my Saturday and Sunday mornings. Well, I wish I was there with you and share a cup of coffee. Along with, uh, along with some of our four-legged friends. Absolutely, yeah. Limon would love it. So, <laughs> As would uh, Anna and Maya. So what's going on, Robert? How can I help? Well, last week, um, or, yeah, last week um, I decided it was high time to get some nematodes out and started beating the bushes up here in Austin. And uh, the only live nematodes we could find uh we asked we asked the nurse, you just call around, you know, it's too far to drive to all these places. Yeah. And then we confirmed that it was live nematodes, and I just assumed it would be on a sponge. Of course, right. right. Susie picked them up, and, of course, they t- turned out they were in a, a cup with a right. Cup right. Down, right. So the first question is, did I, did I waste my time putting them out, and did I need to start over with, uh, with the sponges? 
Well, you you got hamburger instead of prime rib. Um, there there are a lot of good things to be said about those nematodes. I like I like the live ones on the sponge better for a couple of reasons. Um, I, number one, I I think they go to work faster, and probably more importantly, you have to realize there are over half a million different kinds of nematodes out there, and many of them, well, they're different ones that work well against different insects, and Hydrocardens is a company that makes the ones we like on the blue sponge. I can't remember if it's five or seven. I think it's seven different species of nematode they put in there. I believe the blend we get is called Guardian Lawn Patrol, and it's especially formulated. I don't know if that's the right word to use for living things, but it's it's uh, it's a choice of species that are extremely well that are that are really good in Texas uh, when you're fighting not only grubs but fleas and wireworms and lots of different things. So um, I I feel like the ones on the little blue sponge are the best. But what you put out is not a bad product, and if you're not fighting a specific situation, they may be all you need. I will tell you, with you being in Austin, and I think the natural gardeners still closed down, uh, they usually have the ones on the little blue sponge, but like I say, I, I, I've heard that most Austin nurseries are closed right now, but I think you can go online. It costs a bit more to have them for the shipping costs and things, but uh, Google, the company's called Hydro Gardens. They're up in Colorado Springs, and when you don't have a supplier near you, I think they can probably arrange to ship to you if you decide you want to go to that much effort uh, and don't happen to be coming to San Antonio <laughs> in the meantime. But uh, um, anyway, that's a long answer to a short question, but I hope that answers your question. Well, it does. Yes, thank you, and I appreciate the name of the company, and I'll contact next time. In fact, um, just to update you, most of the most of the bigger nurseries are open here, but for pickup. Ah, uh, right. You, you can't you can't get out of the car. You know, they come out and bring it out to you. Yeah, but, and that's um, that's the way it is with a lot of San Antonio. But they inspect us. They come by to be sure we're doing our social distancing. And I mean, we clean this place. I was here sanitizing for forty five minutes before I got the broadcast equipment out. So it's a lot more work to be able to stay open where you can allow people to come into the nursery. But you know, every every place is a little bit different and. Um, <laughs> I like to think maybe we're a little more progressive even than Austin in some of this stuff, but uh, um, well, that, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. Nice, it's nice that you can visit with people face to face rather than being cooped up in a broadcast. Even if it is, even if it is six feet away. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. so what we were trying to treat was um, uh, these big grub worms. You know, our, yeah. our little uh, digger Levon loves to dig those things up. Oh, and sure. On them. Yeah, absolutely. Nice protein source, I guess. But, <laughs> um, uh, so the, the question is, the, this this particular um, box of um, or cup of nematode uh-huh. had two recipes, one for lawn, which I assume is principally grubs, but uh-huh. everything, you know. But another one was for fire ants, and it was uh-huh. a different formulation in terms of the concentration and uh, I'll just say the directions were less than <laughs> clear, <laughs> about as clear as mud. Well, here's but, here's but the are, thing: on are they are they fairly effective for our We've got one mound that just will not go away. 
they they are fairly effective but here's the deal a, a big fire ant mound in south texas can have up to five million ants in it and they have we sometimes have what are called super mounds and can have up to 12 or 15 queens so even if you put out you know a few hundred thousand nematodes that's that's a company of soldiers taking on a battalion of the enemy so it's going to take a little while to kill all of them out and i guess what i'm saying is that it is much slower than you might like but it is usually effective in the long run but just uh starting out the ants are going to outnumber the nematodes by far so it's going to take a little while for them to get the job done and is it are there any visual clues to these um super mounds just that they're bigger, uh, they're, you know, they will produce, there are more ants in them, so you're going to have more little particles brought up to the surface. But I would pretty much figure that um, every mound in South Texas eventually becomes a super mound. I don't know, I don't know exactly the biology behind that. I need to find somebody smarter than me to ask, because in general, fire ants don't like each other. I've known people of a certain bend of mind that think it's a lot of fun to take a shovel of ants out of one fire ant mound and go jump dump it on the next fire ant mound because they literally fight it out to the death up on top but um apparently there's something in the genetics now that is allowing them or directing them it's it's an interesting study it's what they call a classless society and ants and bees are the two best examples and uh but they somehow in that ingrained sense have uh, learned that it's advantageous to have more than one queen in the mound and so it's a direction that's not a good direction but uh, fortunately we can still get them under control but I, I think every mound untreated in South Texas would eventually become a super mound if there's adequate food source around. Well there's a, a very entertaining way you can research that, that issue of how they get along. Um, there's this television um the subscription channel i can't even think of what the name of it is right now but it costs you all of twenty dollars a year i mean you know, <laughs> a month or something right and right richard, richard attenborough or david attenborough i'm not yeah. sure which one did did a fabulous thing on these super super mouths but really? these things are big i mean they're three feet yeah. high and six eight ten feet across um, so, uh, my, my better half just distracted me to tell me something I don't need to know right now, but, uh, <laughs> well, uh, so I lost my train of thought with you. Oh, well, you just was, didn't uh, know you needed to know it. You needed to know it, but you just didn't know how badly you needed to know it. <laughs> absolutely. You're welcome, Susie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I got, I got my, got my question back now. It, the, when we were calling around, someone said, we don't have live nematodes, but we have um, not dragonfly eggs, but praying mantis eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever heard of that for, for oh, yeah. long, as a nematode substitute? No, it's totally not a nematode substitute because praying mantis work 100% above the ground and, and nematodes work 100% below the ground. Both of them are highly beneficial, but uh, praying mantis is not going to do anything about grub worms or wireworms or fire ants or fleas, any of those things. They're great against aphids and many things that are up on top of the soil, but... Uh, uh, I was sure that's that's like you know substituting paint for food. Both of them are useful, but you don't do the same thing with them. All right. 
I understand. Well, thank you, Bob. Great to talk to you. Please give the Wolfers a pat for Susie. You know I will do it momentarily, Robert. It's good to talk to you, sir. Thank you. And you too. I- Bye-bye. All right. Back to gardening. Chris tells me James dropped off, so it's going to be Tom and Mary and Janice. And Tom is up first. Good morning, Tom. Morning. Good morning, sir. I have a spot in my yard where I had a tree I had to take out. Uh-huh. Uh, probably 10 by 6, so I picked up a, a a canister of spot repair at the big box store, and it was Bermuda. Spread it out uh-huh. about a week ago. I haven't seen anything yet. Is that still too well, early that's, to see any that's, uh, It's too early to plant it. That's the problem with buying plants from a lumber yard is that they don't know what they're selling. At least she didn't buy that crud they're they're calling lawn repair or whatever, which is a northern grass that doesn't grow. But uh, the truth about Bermuda grass is it is a hot weather grass seed and it's not even going to think about sprouting and growing probably till May or even the middle of May. I never recommend planting it until around Mother's Day because it's just going to sit there until the soil really warms up. Um, now, we may get warm early. It's very chilly today. It's supposed to get quite hot tomorrow. Uh, as, uh, you know, when the soil is warm enough, Bermuda will sprout and grow well. You end up uh, uh, usually watering it two, three times a day to try to get it up and growing. But until until that soil is really warm, you're just wasting your time and just have to hope that the bugs and the birds don't eat it up because uh, it's just, you know, if if you put it out when the weather is warm, you start seeing germination and growth in about three days. But when, you know, when it's in the 50-degree range, it's just going to sit there until we have several consecutive 80-degree days before it starts to grow. So nothing wrong with Bermuda grass to improve in a sunny area, but um, they shouldn't have sold it to you this early. It's just, it's just uh, you know, a month, six weeks too early to put it out. All right, we'll see what happens then. Thank you. Okay, and once it does sprout and start to grow, then start feeding it regularly because Bermuda is our toughest, most drought-tolerant summertime grass in the world, but it does like lots and lots of nutrients. So uh, uh, you go ahead, actually, go ahead and put out a little granic organular fertilizer if you like, and then be feeding it at least every 60 to 90 days, and uh, pretty soon you'll have no evidence that you had a bad spot in the yard to begin with. All right, thank you. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you, sir. All right, next up will be Mary. Good morning, Mary. Hello, hi. Hi there. I'm calling from Petula area. So, yes, ma'am. Uh, uh, I've got a question about uh, what vegetables would be good to grow or to start for now. Okay. Well, uh, have you got your have you got your pencil ready to write? Yes. yes <laughs> All and right. Recorder. Okay, well, uh, squash and cucumbers, uh, you can still plant uh, cantaloupe um, and squash. You can plant the summer squash and the winter squash, both. So those are one good group of plants. I'm not crazy about pole beans. I've not gotten real good results with pole beans the past three or four years, so I'm growing Mm -hmm. mostly bush beans for green beans. But if you want to plant contender or top crop or bush blue lake bush beans, excellent time Mm -hmm. to get them started um we're actually still a little bit early just like it was too early for bermuda grass it's still a little early for okra but by early may if you like okra 
you know, put plant the okra seed, and uh, it's it's a very good good summertime crop. And those are all things that you would plant from seed. If you can find the plants, and there has been a shortage of plants, we still have lots of time to plant peppers, uh, hot peppers. You know, everything from shishitos to the really burn you up peppers, as well as the sweet peppers like bells and bananas. Those can mm-hmm. go in, but they're planted from plants. Eggplant can be set out from plants. If you can find tomatoes, now I think it's a great time to plant cherry tomatoes, Sun Gold, Sweet 100, uh, Juliet's. There are lots of good ones out there. The problem with your big slicing tomatoes is when the nights get warm, they stop producing. So I'm going to tell you at this point, I'm probably going to wait till August before I plant more of the big fruited varieties. But if you can find cherry tomatoes, man, plant them because they're they're the most productive okay. and, in my opinion, some of the best to, tasting tomatoes. So I probably just filled your garden up. <laughs> right. Well, I've got 15 acres. So. Oh, well, then you've got room to grow lots of things. But those are yeah. all the things. If you want a leafy green, about the only one that does mm-hmm. well in the hot weather is chard. If you want to plant some uh, rainbow chard, any variety of Swiss chard, there's one called ruby chard. Mm-hmm. It looks like rhubarb, but it's not, of course. But uh, chard, it, it's just too late for spinach or lettuce or any of those things. But if you want a leafy green, then uh, then you can still plant some chard. Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we were talking about some type of lettuce called Montana or something yeah. that's more, is that the right name, Montana? Yes, that's, that's one James was telling us about. Um, okay. You can give it a try. I, I haven't tried it yet, but... Um, uh, lettuce does take a good deal of uh, a good deal of water. I probably would be growing it under a little bit of shade. And lettuce, if you let it get too dry, especially, it does tend to get bitter. Now, if we stay cool like we are right now, it's going to do beautifully. If we turn off to being, you know, eighty and ninety degrees, uh, all your lettuce is mm-hmm. going to be a little challenged. Yes, uh, the thing I'm concerned about is it seems like the last couple of years there's been such a problem with healthy lettuce coming from the, the farm. I yeah the it, I'm I'm a hundred percent I'm a hundred percent in favor of growing everything you can. I'm laughing yeah. because somebody sent me a a, uh, a text the other day that said, you know how when you get a bag of lettuce it turns brown and gooey? If you get a bag of cookies that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> and so good good yeah good luck on it but it's just uh and and you know if you will rinse your lettuce that you are forced to buy from the grocery store yes. rinse it with yes. hydrogen peroxide or something like that and that should take okay. care of uh, any problem with any any oh. unpleasant things on there okay well it kind of leads into one other question if i've got time yes there time okay uh i'm trying to find out how to get into aquaponics. I've read a lot, but reading is a lot different than actual information. I, are you here in San Antonio? Where are you located? Uh, I'm about an hour away, but I go up twice a month to San Antonio. Okay. There's a company here in San Antonio called Bright Ideas. Uh, they okay. have a location here and a location in Austin. They have the equipment and uh, a lot of knowledge about it. I, you know, I think aquaponics are a fun idea. 
for people with limited space and, you know, can't grow a big garden, between you and me, I don't know why anybody with 15 acres would go to the trouble of doing things with aquaponics. But uh, it, it would, you know, it, it's an interesting way to grow things. It's a fun way to get your kids involved. You can, you can grow some things inside. You can grow where you don't have as much light. But... Uh, I think you're going to find the yield that you get and the flavor that you get is always going to be oh, superior okay. from your from your garden. But, of course, I guess you never have to worry about hailstorms with aquaponics, yeah. so yeah. there are things to be said for it. Well, the the issue about the 15 acres is it's mostly mesquite brush, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and now it's got waist-high grass, which is great, but I don't have any cattle. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, you know, so uh, you know the... The life of a of a rancher, even a small rancher, is not an easy oh, yeah. one. But it's uh, well, let's just say yeah. that we don't have to join any gyms to get our exercise. That's very true. Very true. Uh, and, and I was going to ask one other thing uh, with the mesquite beans. I mean, we've already got beans on our mesquite trees this year. Right. Uh, right. So I was. Uh, I always wanted to try to make the flower. But mm-hmm. do you know anywhere that grinds that? Like, I mean, it would be a lot of them. Like, probably yeah. You know, um, if you, when you come to San Antonio sometime or just get on the phone, call Natural Grocers. You know, they are, they don't do that, but they, uh, you know, they, they buy from a lot of local people and um you know they would be the first people i would call you could always try your county extension agent but i find their knowledge is a little bit limited on a lot of uh, natural things but uh, call call friends over at natural grocers tell them i told you to call and see if they can help uh, and, and you know, I'm going to make a note right. Natural Grocers. They have two locations okay. here in San Antonio. And I have to tell you, that's where I do that. You know, you have to go to HEB to buy some of the basics. But most of my yeah. food, because almost, well, everything in Natural Grocers is non-GMO. And the majority of it is organic. So they would be a fun company for you to know anyway. Mm-hmm. have one location out on Northwest Military. Uh, we're fortunate to have a location uh, fairly near us over on in uh uh, near Sunset Ridge yeah. on North New Braunfels here in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to get into some type of commercial uh, garden, uh, the organic types, or so, but not 15 acres as much. <laughs> yeah, one, one half an one, acre at a time, maybe. <laughs> sure, there is an interesting organization called the Texas Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Oh, I, they're how active they are goes up and down a little bit, but uh, they even they have what they call new farm workshops and things where you can go spend a weekend with some folks that are doing it. And uh, uh, Google, T- it's TOFGA, uh, TOFGA, we call it, Texas Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Oh. And okay. it's a lot of people that are doing the same thing that you're doing. And there are a number of people actually making a living off 15 acres or less, so it might be real interesting yeah. to you. And that's that's what I'd like to get towards, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it, and uh, you do some research, and I'll do some research and see how we can help you. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, and God bless everybody and help us get through this. All right. Quickly back to the phone lines. Uh, Janice in Maryland. Janice, uh, good morning. Hi, this is Janice. 
Yes. Um, Bob, I talked to you about a month ago about um, oak wilt in my neighborhood, and I had gotten the little handout sheet that y'all have about making the uh, corn tea corn. Yes, and uh-huh. everything. But I'm a lazy person, and I have 19 trees on about a half-acre area. And uh-huh. my idea is that I just want to buy the corn and sprinkle it on the ground. That's fine. Um, That's fine. Is that Figure- going to be just as good? It's going to be just as good. Um, it's going to be more expensive, and but you know, it's <laughs> you can put it out with a fertilizer spreader. In general, figure about a pound of cornmeal for every inch of trunk diameter. If you've got an oak tree that's about eight inches in diameter, you're going to want to put about eight pounds of cornmeal just spread out over the root system of the tree. So you're looking at probably buying two, three hundred pounds of cornmeal, but find a good feed store, and it's not going to be that expensive but just uh put it out water where you can or put it out when we're expecting some rain that's how we treated for years before we figured out we could use the liquid but the only advantage to the liquid is just that uh, doesn't take as much cornmeal i see all right. Well, at this point in time, money is no object when it comes to the cornmeal. So. <laughs> well, you get it and get somebody to help you get it out. And uh, I'd like to say, yeah, do it, maybe repeat it in six months. But uh, uh, I've helped people cure and prevent oak wilt with the dry cornmeal for years. And it right. works just as well as the liquid. Just uh, just takes a little bit more cornmeal and may bring in a few more birds and might even bring in a few more deer, which are not always uh, welcome, but uh, they don't really impact the effect it'll have on the tree. So you go for the right. dry and you'll do just fine, Janice. Now, I've put down a lot of decomposed granite for pathways uh-huh. and like yeah. a little patio area and everything. Put I'm it right on top. That there's no point. Oh, really? It'll go right through the decomposed. It'll granite? go through it. Keep it. Keep it mainly in the areas where it's exposed soil. But if some of it goes on the granite, then uh, you're certainly not hurting anything. But keep most of it out on the soil areas, and uh, it should do it for you. And listen, I'm going to let you go because I need to try to get Marilyn in here before our break with Howard Garrett. Uh, good morning, Marilyn. Good morning, Bob. I okay. have a Blender's Dream rose bush, and I uh-huh. it, it, in the spring it was just beautiful green leaves, and now there's brownish red spots on the leaves, and the blooms won't open. You've probably got thrips insect, and you may have some spider mites. Um, spray it with uh, liquid garlic. Spray it two, three times. I always spray early in the morning. The garlic is taken up through the leaves and spreads through the plant. Uh, and if you were to take one of those buds and break it open, you'd probably see some little beigey, orangey creatures running back and forth. Those are the thrips. And um, other than that, I would definitely fertilize. I give it a good deep watering. Uh, it is a good hardy rose, but like all roses, it may get some black spot. The garlic will help with that as well. But I'm pretty sure your bud opening problem is the thrips, which are inside the bud. So you've got to use something that works systemically like the garlic to control them. So the liquid uh, garlic would uh, do both, the black spot yeah. and the thrips. Right. Okay. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. But as you well know, as I imagine most of you have been listening for a long time, this is a very special time on Saturday mornings when we take a little break away from uh, phone calls with your questions to uh, phone calls with banter back and forth between the dirt doctor and I and maybe questions I have for him maybe a question he has for me good morning Howard Garrett 
Good morning. How's everyone? Everyone is uh, wearing sweaters today and getting ready for 88 degrees tomorrow, so welcome to Texas. Here we are. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sir. Yep. How's everything in Dallas in the Metroplex? Oh, it's good. All the plants are mixed up, but, um, boy, it's lush growth. I think all the rain that we've had in the past and, you know, recently is really, really showing. I, we're having a lot of uh, turf grass issues, diseases. I was going to ask you if y'all were seeing a lot of the same thing, but the the lush growth on plants in general is just pretty spectacular. Well, as usual, we're seeing virtually no problems on organic lawns, and we're seeing lots of problems with people that came in and yep. say, you know, I use that that Scotch or that whatever, and and now I've got and and we're seeing a fair amount of Rhizoctonia, a fair amount of brown patch, and uh, I I hope people are putting out the beneficial nematodes because I don't remember a spring when I've seen so many June bugs this early. So I know grubs are going to be an issue. But once again, the organic gardeners know how to take care of it. And so I guess I'll be answering a lot of questions for the other side of the coin a little bit later in the season. Well, I'm, uh, I've written columns about it. My column in Dallas Morning News uh, just ran about uh, the uh, turf grass diseases. And the next one I'm going to do is about diseases that you run into in the uh, in the garden, one of the things that comes up every year, obviously, the two that come up the most in the garden, I was going to see what your preemptive recommendations are. I think they're pretty much the same as mine on two things. One is blossom in rot on tomatoes, and then the other is the ubiquitous uh, early blight that a lot of mm-hmm. people confuse with uh, red spider mites. You know, what, uh, <laughs> What's your uh, plan on both of those? Well, Garrett Juice always, uh, which is a great spray. The one you didn't mention is mildew, and we see plenty of mildew yeah. issues uh, as well. But um, I I find that blossom end rot you can just pretty much totally prevent with Epsom salts because, and and it's you have to work to get people to understand that it's not something we want the plants to take up, not something you put in the hole. It's something you put on the soil to help rebalance the uh, calcium and magnesium. But, you know, I put a couple of handfuls of uh, of, cal- of uh, Epsom salts, and it's been probably five years since I've seen any blossom end rot, and I used to suffer with it the same way as everybody else. But for us, that in combination uh, with good Garrett juice application, and I think that apple cider vinegar has a lot to do with it. But uh, to me, it's just blossom end rot's become a non-issue. Yeah, I kind of see the same thing. There's still a, a lot of people that like to have some salts right down in the, in the planting hole. You know, mm-hmm. years ago when we were that, uh, it's not much available anymore. But there used to be an earthworm castings. Uh, yeah. product called Wiggle Worm that was around in the market here it came out of uh, Racine, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And uh, people, one of the main things they recommended with that was to put a handful of it down in the planting hole when you planted mm-hmm. a tomato or whatever. And uh, we recommended that for a while. And some people uh, did a, a similar kind of thing with you know other earthworm castings. Some people did it with uh, soft rock phosphate also. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think the common thing was to put it right down in the hole. But you on the Epsom salts, you you broadcast it on the soil surface. 
Right, because it, uh, and, and I guess there's nothing wrong with putting it in the hole, but uh, as I understand it, and it's old Kay Chandler, we all remember Kay with yeah. uh, Texas Plant and Soils Labs, uh, Kay's the one that explained it to me and how what we were trying to do was change an imbalance in calcium and magnesium, and that's a soil issue. That's not really a root issue, and so, uh, I, yeah, that's what I recommend is just out on the surface of the soil. Yeah, I tell people that Epsom salts is fine, even though it's you know not a true organic. But uh, yeah. probably the best way for organic people to use it is put about as little as a tablespoon or rounded tablespoon in a gallon of water, drench it into the soil that way. And I, that's a great way to do it. And, you know, there's just an awful lot of people that wait until they have it to call. And that's what I always tell them is to put a good, uh, you know, one to two tablespoons per gallon and just soak. And you won't change it on the on the fruit that's already shown the problem, but uh, you'll sure head it off on future ones. And, and the people that get it, you know, you're not going to win a blue ribbon with the tomato with it, but you can take a sharp knife and just slice off the bottom third of the tomato and the top of it's totally good. It's it's not like a pathogenic situation where something's actually rotting. It's uh, just an abnormal development, so to speak. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much a non-issue for the uh, for the organic people. Not, I, I think that the uh, early blight, which shows up for everybody, shows up a lot later and, and less severe for organic people. But I think the cornmeal helps uh, a lot with that, and yes. uh, it's interesting because while I was writing this column about diseases and the turf grass, of course, you know, talking about cornmeal, and I, I got to looking at, uh, into it again, and, and uh, Maggie, who helps us with our website, let me know this morning, actually, that I didn't even have a, a, a regular entry on the website for trichoderma. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I started writing an article about trichoderma, and guess what pops up right away is uh, two names, Linda Chalker Scott and Howard Garrett in the big debate <laughs> that continues to go on and on about well. whether cornmeal is a scam or not. It's It's fascinating how much energy... They put into that. They've got a website called Garden Professors where she wrote an article saying that that uh, uh, work that they did in Stephenville, you know, the guys that mm-hmm. yeah, peanuts. discovered the corn. Yeah, on peanuts, yeah. That it wasn't a true scientific test and you ought to ignore it. it, it uh, and, and they just argue against everything uh, that that we know works and, and people put on this website well i tried it it worked for me <laughs> and they said well i had toenail fungus i tried it it worked for me but, but she continues to try to debunk the whole thing it's just pretty fascinating stuff she's up there in the uh northwest somewhere in oregon or someplace up there but well. one thing that did come up in my uh, beginning research on it i'm do a pretty uh, pretty detailed entry, and we'll put it in the newsletter and the whole deal on trichoderma. But one thing that popped out real uh, quickly that caught my attention was that there are different um, uh, forms of trichoderma, and some of them will actually hurt uh, beneficial fungus. And uh, that act really did catch my uh, attention. It talks about the fact that it's used as a fungicide. One of her big arguments, by the way, is that uh, we're, we're saying that it's antifungal, 
And I don't know that I've ever actually said it in exactly those words, but basically it is. I mean, it it, it counteracts rhizoctonia, and and that's documented by other people besides you and me. Right. But it apparently can hurt beneficial fungus as well. So i got to look into that and see how we want to try to help explain that. I think the cornmeal works uh, so well because there's different forms of trichoderma in there I think, and there's different forms of trichoderma that we're stimulating in the soil. I think you hit it right on the head right there because I, I think there might be 30, 40 different species of trichoderma actually out there, but it seems that the cornmeal really grows the beneficial forms and you know it's like we can look at even at e coli uh e coli all you hear about is the bad form that causes all these horrible digestive issues but there's so many beneficial strains of e coli that we could not live without and so yeah you can go research it and see that there are actually different species of trichoderma which attack beneficial fungi but and again, I, I guess I need to do some more research because I'm sure it's out there. A lot of it's out of England, by the way. Not that much being done in this country. But the, the cornmeal stimulates almost 100% the strains of trichoderma that are what we want to have, you know, in the soil and in our plants. And uh, it would be real interesting to ask her sometime if she is uh, aware of or has ever looked at uh, this stuff we call SIR or SAR, the systemic and Induced resistance, systemic acquired resistance that makes many plants resistant to a lot of different fungal diseases, uh, including oak wilt. And this stuff's real well documented now. And cornmeal, trichoderma, along with biochar, along with uh, um, salicylic acid, these are things that stimulate this induced resistance to form in plants which makes them resistant to so many problems so i think what we're learning scientifically is not only does it cure problems but it helps the plant build its own immune defense against other problems so i'm afraid anybody that that poo-poo's cornmeal just is not well informed but <laughs> that's that's the nicest way i can think of putting it because i hate to call people an idiot in public but that's sure the way i feel about some of them and i hate to say it but texas forest service is uh pretty slow on the uptake with a lot of the new research about trichoderma versus oak wilt too oh i know it. it's it's frustrating and it, just like this uh chalker scott uh lady mm-hmm. It's all based on you don't have the research that I approve. <laughs> Must be nice it's to have a, that kind of power. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. you know with with A&M they always talk about the fact that there's no uh, land grant university research behind it. Well, the only land grant university in Texas is A&M. So it's uh it's pretty funny and the, the, the it's almost like they uh, they are working hard to figure out some way to to counteract or to counter the claims that it works so well. It's just too simple for them to uh, accept. But anyway, people they might be interested in seeing it. It's called uh, the website is called GardenProfessors.com, 
And, mm. uh, you know, if you want to put a little uh, entry in there about how cornmeal works for you, uh, by all means <laughs> do that. That would be a very, a very good thing to do. But, yeah, well, and, of course, we all know that land-grant universities are largely supported by grants from uh, – some of the companies we don't care for that produce some very toxic materials and things that are very contrary to organics and uh, and to soil life. They think you can solve every problem out there with a chemical. And I think the more informed gardener realizes that the life in the soil is more important than anything else there. And that's what uh, you and I talk about all the time. Yeah, and being able to do a, uh, you know, Definition, the actual definition of a scientific experiment. You can't do that with the organic no. program because there's so many variables and so many different things working together. There's no way to set up, you know, one variable, looking at one variable at a time in a quote unquote scientific uh, test. So. Yeah. It's uh, no, it's not going to change. The organic people will, will do what they do, and the, the chemical people will do what they do. Well. I yeah and and I just kind of smile because I think about ratings on radio shows and uh organic shows like you and I do when you look at the listenership that they have compared to the um to the other side so to speak it's interesting that we only have 20 to 30 times as many listeners as those other guys do so they can talk all they want but it just makes me feel very good and flatters me a great deal that uh, you and i have a lot more people following us these days than they do so we just we'll just keep on doing what we're doing well my main listener is uh nelly she's sitting here right beside <laughs> me right now well Listen that's the fun we say and she's bothered that i uh am not already working on cooking breakfast here so she can get handouts well hannah and meyer both uh uh, they both, I think, uh, they must have gotten bored with me because they're both, they've both gone into the break room. I guess they're hoping that one of the employees, and, uh, we got a lot of people in here early because, my gosh, we've been getting beautiful plants in. But they, uh, uh the, those eyes just have, are a very penetrating thing. And you can look at their bodies and tell that there's no malnutrition, but they, they can use those eyes to try to convince you that they are quite hungry. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, well, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Seems like wasn't, too much more than a year ago, you were fighting some uh, house mold problems and uh, uh, took care of it with some some extensive but fairly non-toxic treatments. Have you had any reoccurrence, or has that been uh, totally taken care of? Well, I guess. We uh, we fixed the outside drainage that I had uh-huh. done myself by just being, being uh, too casual, you know, got that fixed, and they, they treated all the wood under the house. Right, with, I remember. Uh, Basically, hydrogen peroxide type things and and sealing it off, and and uh, there's a fan blowing under there, and we haven't had any reoccurrence of what we had. We didn't have the black mold; we had the right. kind of the blue green stuff that's not as dangerous. But yeah, it seems to be holding up and working um, working pretty well. One of the, one of the things that I'm also writing in my next column that's related to that is what uh, you, uh, what's the best way to handle these. Uh, uh, fungal problems that pop up on plants in the garden, and, and you know, one of them that we deal with all the time, you mentioned, is powdery mildew, but right. we also deal with a, a couple of viral diseases. One of them is curly top uh-huh. on tomatoes, 
And yep. the other is mosaic virus. And the best thing there we found and have had our scientific stuff on it is the <laughs> hydrogen peroxide. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, our evidence may be anecdotal to some extent, but, you know, again, it works. And that's what we're looking for. I, if something works and is non-toxic, I don't have to know exactly how it works. I'd like to know how it works because I've got that, you know, scientific background and you do too. But, uh, the fact that it works, I'm going to solve the problem first and then, then go back and try to figure out why it works so we can apply it to other things. And hydrogen peroxide is just is just you know almost a miracle worker when it comes to viral problems but and and bacterial problems as well because i always think about you know and i periodically spent too much time in the sun as uh, a much younger person and i have the little skin cancers carved off every now and then but i i think my dermatologist is the best in the business and that's all he uses for a disinfectant and a cleaner is hydrogen peroxide he said it's far better than alcohol and much much better than all those creams and things so i i i love hydrogen peroxide yeah it's good and uh the other thing too that i i always and I probably don't push it as much as i should but i'm a big fan of uh garlic uh, as well as a fungus preventer, not so much a cure, but actually Dr. Kirby and I were talking about, I think it's called commensalate, in that, uh, and, and one of the problems we're likely to see with this COVID is getting things too clean because in a lot of situations you have non pathogenic bacteria and fungi that basically crowd out some of the damaging things that come along. And, uh, if we're not careful in our, overzealous sanitizing where we're wiping out so many of the good guys that we can have other serious problems move in and set up housekeeping and uh, that's one thing i like about plants and garlic is that the garlic works by supporting so many beneficial fungi that there's just no room for the powdery mildew and black spot and the other ones to get started but anyway that's two different subjects but kind of the same thing i think the word is commensalate if you look it up but uh you don't want things too clean you want some you want a good, healthy crop of uh, of good microbes. That's right. That's one of the reasons why the uh, organic program works so well. There's a lot going on in that healthy soil. <laughs> You're exactly right. One, uh, just a couple other quick things people wanted me to ask you about. Uh, one of my earlier callers was uh, trying to find somewhere that she could get uh, a in this case mesquite beans ground because they do make a good flour and you know early Native Americans it was an important part of their diet. Do you know where anywhere people can take things to get things ground? No, but you know there's a uh, there's at least one and maybe more uh, than one uh, company grain company in Texas and I can't remember the name offhand down central Texas somewhere that that sells. Uh, various products, and so they obviously are grinding their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, being able to get your own uh, things ground at one of those places, if you do a search for organic uh, meals, uh, I think those, the name of those kind of companies would come up. And if they wouldn't do it for you, maybe they'd tell you where you could get it done, sure. or tell you where you could buy a reasonably priced grinder and do it yourself 
Well, I just I thought of you because you you're doing so many of the Mother Earth news, uh, so many of their get-togethers, and that sounds like something that would be very popular with a lot of the people that attend those. So maybe something to look at next uh, when we get back to being able to have the fairs and gatherings like that. But uh, that's a great suggestion, and I hope she's listening and uh, we'll look into that. But uh, Yeah, yeah sending it, Mother Earth News a, uh, a note asking uh, them, that would be another good way to go, too. They probably have some other suggestions of similar places around the country, not just the ones I've heard about in Texas. Do you know what has become of, on sort of a related note, uh, if the TOFCA, the Texas Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, used to be really active, haven't heard much about them in the past couple of years. Do you know if they're still out there and active or what's become of them? No, I, I assume that they are. They invited me to speak several years ago and it was the last time I heard from them and I, kn- mm-hmm. I do know that they had a lot of changeover and who was running things and had a lot of disagreements about the direction yeah. it was going and that sort of thing and that's that's really frustrating we ought to all be on the same page you know but uh, I, I don't know haven't stayed uh, involved with them at all Tony Manasseri uh, had been for mm-hmm. several years but he had such serious uh, health issues that uh, I think he quit. He was the one that helped them with their book sales and things sure. like that and kind of kept yeah. me involved in it. And the last time I got invited to the Herd Museum, which Tony's invited in, you know, it got knocked right. out by all this uh, COVID-19 stuff. So everybody's kind of on hold, as you know, right now. Well, I, fortunately, fortunately, it's it's changed the way we do radio a little bit, but still just appreciate so much being able to visit with you on Saturday mornings. And, uh, you know, I'll just there, I'll push some of the rest of these things up to next week that I had to ask you about. And uh, just hope you guys uh, have a wonderful week and uh, enjoy spring while it lasts and welcome summer when it arrives. And uh uh, we were back down to the 30s earlier this week, so uh, it's just uh, welcome to Texas. It's kind of a kind of an unusual place, but uh, everybody check out dirtdoctor.com. Everybody think about taking the online course for organic certification. And real uh, quick thing on that, oh, yeah. Bob, go on ahead. The course, we're going to offer a special deal because everybody's kind of pent up, and it would be a great time to do it if you sign up for the online course. You can uh, identify somebody else, a friend, to send, that we'll send it to for no charge. Wow. So it'll be basically a you know, two-for-price-of-one kind of thing, but you could encourage somebody else by signing up, and then we'll send a, a free. Uh, uh, and you can take however long you want to take the course. You don't have to do it right away. It just lasts forever. So check, well. check that out, and we'll uh, talk again next week. We've got two new employees that are both clamoring for as soon as they have time to do it. So that's a great deal, Howard. And uh, everybody check out DirtDoctor.com. And you and the dogs and the family have a good week, and I'll look forward to next Saturday. Talk to you then. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Howard. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. It's going to be Martha and Mark and James and Leslie. And uh, let's get started. Good morning, Martha. I just think that long ago there was a mill that ran on the road that went by Gary Air Force Base out of San Marcos. This road went toward Lockhart, and I think it was past Lockhart, that had a little mill, and there's got to be more around. There ought to be somewhere we could look. 
I would think so, and um, maybe somebody out there has a little more free time on their hands than they normally do, and um, the weather keeps us out of the garden every now and then, so maybe somebody will come up with one and let us know. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, is that all you need this morning? That's all I needed this morning. You know, you're you're reminding me, too, we have a place here in San Antonio called Rodriguez Butcher Supply, and they have vacuum packers and things like that. We might need to call them and ask them if they have a, a home mill that a person could afford because they sure, they sure deal in top-quality equipment. So good jogging of the brain. You get out and have a good week. We'll talk again. Thanks. Thank Goodbye. you, Martha. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, next up is Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Out here enjoying a beautiful, uh, crisp, Spring morning. Yep, I'm about. Uh, oh, what am I? I'm about 19 minutes away from joining you out there. So it is. Uh, <laughs> it feels more like early spring than it does late spring. But uh, like I say, I, being a little cool certainly beats being bathed in sweat by eight o'clock in the morning. So I'm with you. It's a great morning. Well, it keeps the mosquitoes away, and I have a fire pit to take the edge off, so it makes a big difference. Uh, that and a hot beverage uh, is a good way to start a day. How can I help yeah, you today? Um, I had to smile. I heard you uh, talking about the scientific methodology, and and I teach science. And it's interesting that because of the scientific methodology itself, it limits us from finding the true answers because you have to you have to separate specific components and then you have to build the parameters around that to <laughs> to get your validation or verification and so you automatically limit yourself to the total sum or the total answer you're you're trying to derive exactly and so science is self-limiting by itself um, i had to think about it at the same time um, we do now accept a theoretical physics um, and experimental physics that we may never find the answer for things, but it's okay to take a look at them now. So they won't call you crazy. Spoken and, like um, a yeah, spoken like a good teacher. And as you know, I taught freshman biology when I was in grad school, so I couldn't be more totally in agreement with you. Yes, yes. Um, so I had to think. It came to mind maybe um, a good term for. Organic soil is uh, dark matter or dark energy. We know it works. <laughs> we know it's out there. We can't see it. <laughs> yeah, we know it works, and it's highly functional, but we don't know exactly why. You know, I I couldn't have said it better. You're a thinking man and the kind of guy I enjoy visiting with. Well, I just came to mind. I thought I'd give you a call about it and make that reference. You know. Mark, I appreciate it and hope you have a wonderful weekend and a uh, and a good week. And we'll talk again. All right. Ah, it's been an interesting day, an interesting show. Uh, so always so much fun visiting with Howard Garrett because, uh, you know, we just we, we are both organic people. We but we live slightly different lives. Lives. Howard's actually a landscape architect by training. I'm a research biologist by training, and it just makes it fun because we have different sources. We talk to different people, and it just makes it a lot of fun to share ideas and thoughts. And uh, anyway, that's uh, that's always a fun part of the show. But the main thing we're here for is to talk to you and learn from you and help you. And that's why we're going to finish up the show with James and Leslie. And James is up. First, good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? 
Well, I was kind of hoping that was Farmer James on the other end. I'm doing very well. I I think the plants are a little confused by, uh, you know, temperatures in the 40s on the, whatever this is, 18th day of April, but <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, it sure does feel good out there. I would be surprised if you had a fire in that iron stove this morning. Well, I was almost going to put one in there last night. Uh, I was listening to you, and I was feeling pretty good this morning, but now I'm feeling pretty bad after what you said. Um, my cantaloupe grower showed up with a trailer with a ton of uh, of the growing green in a big white bag. Uh-huh. And I thought I was really doing something until you said on the air that you had 26 tons. So I'm feeling pretty bad, man. Well, see, the difference is that, you know, I'm only going to use about 120 pounds out of that 26 oh. tons, and you're going to use uh, every bit of that 1,000-pound or 1-ton tote. But, uh, yeah. no, it's, you know, Medina makes oh. uh, uh, a – when we find a fertilizer we love, we go to the people that make it and say, how would you make it better? Uh, we went to Stuart and said, if you were doing this over, what would you change? And he said, I'd put more green sand and more humates. And uh, we said, okay, do that and put it in our bag. So he makes and bags uh, our own, you know, I guess you'd call it private label here. So that was 26 tons of fertilizer, but in 20 and 40 pound bags for, for us to sell, not for me to use. So you go back and, and you feel really, really good because uh, much as I'd love to put 26 tons on my field, I know I'm not going to have time to do that anytime in the near future. Well, if you get uh, bored or don't have anything to do, you can come over and help us unload it. We need to put it in barrels. So. <laughs> I think boredom, the last time I experienced boredom was probably when I was about four years old. But uh, I'll keep you in mind, if I get caught up in all my work, I'll come help you with yours. But yes, don't be holding sure. your breath. <laughs> um, the reason I called is uh, the plant sales are really taking off, and uh, I'm just not a real uh, writing out plant labels is not something I like to do. Right. I like growing and, and all this other happy stuff we do, but is there uh, somebody out there that can sell me plant labels with the different varieties, or is that just a commercial nursery thing? You know, there are companies that make those little i don't i don't remember the name but i know that for virtually every variety out there they make i think they call them quick tags or something like that so you might ask your friends at johnny seed they might actually have uh labels that you can use what what most of us do uh, we have our own label maker and uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the company. I'm looking around, uh, you know, yeah, at our. Tomorrow, you can do that. It's, it's um, the the machine is not cheap. It's several hundred dollars investment, but uh, and then you just hook almost any type of uh, little PC, any type of computer to it, and you can make hang tags to put on bushes. You can print out. Uh, stick in tags to go in pots. You can make labels. You can make signs. Now, I'm telling you all this because I'm real good at watching some of the talented ladies around here do this. But if you told me to go over there and uh, 
you know, make a hundred tags, I'd, I'd just look at you with a dumb look on my face. But it's not difficult. And, uh, like I say, you, uh, it, it's, uh, uh, Horticultural Printers is the name of the company that, uh, uh, that makes this particular machine. We, we bought it through one of the trade shows, but, uh, in the meantime, you can probably Google Horticultural Printers and look at the, type of printers they have and then they have the roll stock so to speak we put a we put a big roll of blank uh and it can be stuck on tags or hang tags they make a lot of different things and there are three or four different companies that do this but that's the name of the company that we use and um i golly i i'm not sure there may be a printer around somewhere somebody that makes signs or banners might have the kind of printer that would do it but sooner or later james is probably going to get his own printer and uh they uh, uh very few problems this is the same machine we've had for lots and lots and lots of years and i don't think we've ever had to send it in for repair so i'll recommend it to you pretty pretty highly you're welcome to come well, by and take a well, look I, at it anytime you'd like to okay what i really like to do is just you know buy a thousand celebrity labels and a thousand uh, uh green magic and uh you know but i guess that's that's not can't do that. I I don't know. In the middle of the summer, you might find somebody that uh, that would happily print off those for you. Again, I talk to Johnny Seed or talk to some of the big seed suppliers. They may have that capability. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they do. But uh, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a real good question. I hadn't really thought about that before. But we use mainly stick on tags. But um, and and we you know bring in many many thousands of plants, but we oh, yeah. we don't grow enough of our own that we need to use the stick in tags. But uh, I, uh, I I might have a couple of other people I can I'll ask about that that might be able to help with that. Okay, well, um, you uh, take care of that 26 tons of fertilizer, man, because I know there's somebody out there that might have a lawn or a garden that needs a bag. Well, there's there are a bunch of them, uh, a bunch of them going out. How are your? Uh, I, I know you were actually growing transplants uh, that you were putting in a couple of places. I bet your sales have been just outstanding on those. Yeah, the first year you you get to learn your market. Like the the yellow squash is just sitting there. The plants are beautiful, and the cucumber transplants are flying off the shelf. So um, I'm getting kind of uh, an education on what what sells and what doesn't, what time of the year. It's a it's really I uh, more work than I thought it would be. Well, and then you've got uh, things that you, I'm sure, have learned is that the fun thing about peppers and eggplant and tomatoes, you've got, you know, quite a few days, and or maybe in, in peppers and eggplant, probably quite a few weeks to sell those. But, man, that uh, cantaloupe, that squash, that cucumber, if you're going to sell that as a little transplant, you've probably got less than a week from the time it's too small until the time it's overgrown. So those have to move off your shelves a whole lot more quickly than the tomatoes and peppers do. But uh, it's well, uh, the, the sweet. The sweet thing about that is if they're getting a little past retail ready, they can go up to Utopia. And that's... <laughs> Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, well. Thanks for taking my call, and I sure appreciate you guys. Well, we'll uh, we'll see if we can help you find a way to get those tags made, because I know that'll 
that'll make your life easier and give you time to do a few more transplants, and uh, we always need that. So, James, have a good week. Have a good weekend, and I hope we talk again soon. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. All right, we'll finish up calls today with Leslie. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Bob. I hope you have a beautiful day. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful day. It may be a little rainy. It's a little bit cool, but for the 18th day of April, it's pretty darn nice out there. Sure, you're right. So I just have a comment. There was a lady that uh, called in earlier regarding aquaponics, and I wanted to um, just say that um, in Austin, there is an aquaponics um, operation I remember that uh, that Central Texas Gardener program that comes right. on on PBS yeah. had right. a had a segment about them, and um, I'm sure you probably can't go there now, but they gave us kind of a virtual tour. And uh-huh. so, you know, they talked about the kind of fish that you use in the operation, and they talk about the kind of plants that they grow, and yada yada yada. Okay, and then um, there is a book out there, uh, Will Allen, that. Uh, football player um he has a aquaponics is part of his um urban farming operation in chicago and they Very sell good. to a lot of they sell to a lot of high-end restaurants and stuff like that but it it brought um i guess a a, a way for uh, urban children or whatever to kind of have their first job and they grew you know stuff in the ground and then they did the aquaponic operation too and they um used tilapia in their operation Uh so you know there was a cheap source of protein there too so absolutely Um, did you say he's written a book yes um i can't remember the name of the the book right now but it's will allen and you could google that and and i'll probably find that you might look at you might uh and again i spend so little time in front of a tv set and not a whole lot more time in front of a computer but uh there's there's some pretty good youtube stuff out there and uh yeah. there might be something good on that i hope but we just ran out of time talking with howard this week but he may have some information on that too but uh i'll definitely be yeah, looking imagine, up will allen yeah yeah and i imagine um you can google um Austin Aquaponics or something like that, and maybe that show okay. will come up. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all well, I have. Well, very kind of you to share with us, and uh, look forward to our next visit, Leslie. Thank you. All right. Have a great yeah, one. You do the same. Goodbye.